0: Hey everybody and welcome into episode 82 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller, appreciate you guys tuning in once again. What a big, big weekend ahead for NASCAR. Triple header at Martinsville Speedway, the penultimate weekend of the 2021 season. Later today we have the Camping World Truck Series at 1 o'clock, the NASCAR Xfinity Series at 6 o'clock. By sometime tonight, we will be know who will be racing for those championships next weekend. The Truck Series Friday night, November fifth at Phoenix, and then Saturday night, November sixth, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and then tomorrow, two o'clock on NBC, the NASCAR Cup Series, the cutoff race, the cutoff race. Can anybody stop Kyle Larson? What a historic year this has been. What an amazing story this is as well, no matter what happens next weekend at Phoenix. I mean, what a remarkable comeback after being suspended for 32 races last year. Going to the 5-team with Hendrick Motorsports, what was the 48-team with Jimmy Johnson? Nine wins on the year. Nine wins when, during his entire tenure at Chip Ganassi Racing, six victories. So, nine wins and three in a row, the Charlotte Roval Texas Motor Speedway, Kansas Speedway this past weekend in Ricky Hendricks' tribute pain scheme, 17 years to the day that Ricky perished in that plane crash on his way to Martinsville Speedway along with nine others. And Kyle, this is the second time this year that he's won at least three races in a row. The last time that a driver won three races in a row on two separate occasions in one season, you guessed it. The late, great Dale Earnhardt in 1987. What a remarkable year Dale had. And that's the thing. If Kyle Larson, if he closes out the year going back-to-back tomorrow at Martinsville, next weekend at Phoenix, he will tie Dale Earnhardt's personal record for 11 victories on the season. Dale accomplished that in 1987. And sure enough, those two three-peats that Dale had were in 1987. The first one, four in a row, four wins in a row at Darlington Raceway, North Wilkesboro Speedway, Bristol International Raceway, and Martinsville Speedway, when he won six out of the first eight races. And the second three-peat that Dale had in 1987, sure enough, that was right at the very end of the summer, the beginning of the fall, sweeping the races at Bristol, Darlington, and Richmond on the 1987 season. Kyle, as I'm sure you guys remember, His three in a row, the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte on Memorial Day weekend, NASCAR's return to Sonoma in early June, and sure enough, the, the inaugural race at Nashville Super Speedway. And let's face it, Kyle would have gotten that fourth win in a row in the Saturday race at Pocono if that left front tire doesn't blow out at the very last corner. So, and the other thing, too, to think about, if Kyle closes out the year, that's five straight wins. Five straight wins. You want to know the last time a driver in NASCAR's highest level won five consecutive cup races? It was Bobby Allison all the way back in the summer of 1971. That's amazing to think about. So obviously a lot to cover as far as NASCAR. Then, of course, week eight in the NFL that kicked off just a couple nights ago, Thursday Night Football, you know damn well. The 1972 Miami Dolphins that they popped out that champagne yesterday, as the Arizona Cardinals. Who ever imagined that they would be the last undefeated team left? But sure enough, they fell to the Green Bay Packers 24 to 21 on Thursday night. As we know, such a crazy, crazy finish with AJ Green 12 seconds to go, as Kyler Murray was thrown to him the right corner of the end zone. Rasul Douglas, corner for the Green Bay Packers, who was on the Arizona Cardinals practice squad just weeks ago. He was signed by the Green Bay Packers on October 6th. I mean, really, when you think of it, talk about talk about a feel-good story if you're the Green Bay Packers or you're a fan of them. But nevertheless, if you're Kyler Murray, if you're Cliff Kingsbury, I think in some ways, and I talked about this last year with the Pittsburgh Steelers when they got off to their 11-0 start when they lost to the Washington football team that Monday night game in early December, and that was their first loss of the year. Sure enough, you know, I, you kind of had that feeling that the wheels were going to fall off like they did. I mean, I didn't expect them to lose five out of their last six. But at the time, when the Steelers lost that game to Washington, I thought, you know what, this is probably a blessing in disguise. And what I mean by that is, if they would have gotten deeper and deeper and deeper into this season... Being undefeated, sure enough, all that talk, like, oh, are they going to go undefeated? Are they going to go undefeated? Are they going to go undefeated? Just like the 2007 New England Patriots, all that talk and talk and talk and talk. Are they going to go undefeated? Are they going to go 19-0? And in the end, even going 16-0 and in the regular season, even beating the Jacksonville Jaguars in the divisional round and the San Diego Chargers in the AFC Championship, being 18-0, and none of that mattered. When you lose on the biggest stage to Eli Manning, Tom Coughlin, and the New York Giants. And I met up with Josh Manley, great friend of mine, this past Sunday at Riverside. And we were talking about it. And he said, honestly, man, the Cardinals being 7-0, and he said, honestly, he wasn't – I mean, he was somewhat impressed, but not really. I mean, yeah, to demolish the Tennessee Titans on opening day in Nashville – but the close one against Minnesota after Greg Joseph missed the field goal and you know Jacksonville Jaguars the 49ers with all the injuries they have they have had some convincing wins beating Matt Stafford and the Rams 37 to 20 beating the Cleveland Browns 37 to 14 but honestly Cleveland just doesn't really impress me this year but you know when we looked at the schedule myself and Josh were like hmm Green Bay San Fran Carolina Seattle Chicago, the Rams again on Monday Night Football in December, the Lions, the Colts, the Dallas Cowboys at the Dallas Cowboys New Year's weekend, and then finishing up with the Seattle Seahawks. We kind of knew that sooner or later a loss was going to come, and sure enough it came on Thursday night against the Green Bay Packers. So in a little bit, obviously, I'll be giving my picks for Week 8 as well and Martinsville Speedway. But this past Tuesday... Boy, did Dale Earnhardt Jr. make some headlines this week, or what? For the first time, to my knowledge, the last time I remember seeing Dale Earnhardt Jr. in a NASCAR Cup Series car was the final race of his career, November of 2017 at Homestead Miami Speedway. But this past Tuesday, he got back behind the wheel of a Cup car at Bowman Gray Stadium in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, as NASCAR, they're continuing to conduct their tests with the next-gen car. And this past Tuesday at Bowman Gray Stadium, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was there, Clint Boyer was there, and Tony Stewart. And ultimately, this test was done in preparation for NASCAR's exhibition race, the Bush Clash, at the LA Coliseum on February 6th. That'll kick off the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season. And of course, Bowman Gray being, I mean, really One of the most legendary short tracks in all of America. You know, just a a quarter-mile bull ring. You see all the wrecks. You see all the fights. You see plenty of videos of it on YouTube. And such a rich history as well with Bowman Gray Stadium. So many greats have come from there. The Myers brothers, Richard Childress, Ralph Earnhardt raced there in the 50s and 60s. To my knowledge, I don't know if if Dale Earnhardt Sr. ever raced there. Dale Earnhardt Jr. said this past Tuesday that was the first time he had ever driven at Bowman Gray Stadium. But Tony Stewart, he conducted the tire test for NASCAR. And the purpose of having Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Clint Boyer at this test was obviously we know both of them are retired Cup Series drivers. Dale Earnhardt Jr., he does an amazing job with NASCAR and NBC the second half of the season. And Clint Boyer going into his second season NASCAR on Fox in 2022. Obviously, Clint was a natural and absolute gold in the booth This And it's definitely going to feel a little different with Jeff Gordon not returning to the booth NASCAR and Fox. You wonder, is it going to be a two-man booth like it was in 2020 with Jeff Gordon and Mike Joy? You wonder if it's going to be the same with Mike Joy and Clint Boyer? Or if they're going to have someone up in that booth, maybe a Jamie McMurray, maybe even bring Larry McReynolds back. Although I know Larry said that he loves the job that he has now, just being a studio analyst. But naturally, I think, ultimately, I think an even keel guy like Jamie McMurray and an absolute riot like Clint Boyer, I think that that would be a great, great combination in the broadcast with on Fox. But anyway, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Clint Boyer, they both said that they wanted to do this test, so ultimately, when they're in the booth next year, and we have this next-gen car that NASCAR has been working really, really hard on these past few years to debut, ultimately, They want to be able to tell the fans what to expect, what to feel in these race cars. And Dale Earnhardt Jr., when he recorded the latest episode of the Dale Jr. download, he had to record it on Monday, obviously. But in the Ask Jr. portion of the podcast, when a fan asked him about testing the next-gen car at Bowman Gray Stadium, he said that ultimately, if NASCAR wants him to do more testing for them, He said that he would love to do it obviously at a smaller track, maybe or a bigger track in this case, but a Martinsville or a Richmond or a Bristol so he can even get more of a feel of what this car is going to drive like in 2022. But he was not done, obviously, with the announcements. Sure enough, the Dale Jr. download ten minutes into this previous or the most recent episode with Shauna Robinson. At about the 1045 mark of the episode, Dale Earnhardt Jr. announced to no surprise, he said one of the worst kept secrets out there, that his lone Xfinity race for 2022 will come at none other than Martinsville Speedway on April 8th. Like I said, not really a shock to anybody. You know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. for years has talked about how much he loves martinsville speedway and how much that meant to him in october of 2014 when he finally won a cup race there and he finally got his own grandfather clock growing up in a house where his father dale earnhardt senior won several times on martinsville speedway the fall of 1980 the fall of 1985 and sure enough the spring races of 1987 1988 some of those championship seasons like i said 1980 1987 his father recorded the 50th win of his career at Martinsville, the spring of 1991, just one day before his 40th birthday, and then ultimately a sixth grandfather clock at Martinsville in the fall of 1995. So obviously Dale Earnhardt Jr., he said, growing up in a house that was filled with grandfather clocks from Martinsville and those giant Bristol trophies, he's, he's a student of the, of the sport. He's a historian. He loves reading up and appreciating the history of the sport. And that meant so much to him to win that race in Martinsville in the fall of 2014. And also, of course, with it being the 10th anniversary of the Hendrick Motorsports plane crash. Of course, when the crash happened, Dale was not a member of Hendrick Motorsports. He was still driving for his family with Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. But himself and Ricky Hendrick were very, very close friends. And I love telling the story. But I mean, it's a bittersweet story. But sure enough, the summer of 2003, when there were all these rumors going on about Dale Earnhardt Jr. possibly leaving DEI, obviously with the tension between himself and his stepmother, Teresa. But the story goes how one day Ricky Hendrick, you know, he, he was visiting his father Rick and his mother Linda, and Rick said to him, he said, So, son, how was your day today? And Ricky had run into Dale Jr. that day, and they talked. And he said, I'm telling you, Dad, Earnhardt's going to drive for us one day. And Rick was like, yeah okay. there' was no way there's no way that he's going to leave the family company and come drive for us and Ricky told his dad he said, no, it's going to happen one day and it's so sad how you know when that day came in June of 2007, when Dale Earnhardt jr said, my new boss for two thousand eight, Mr. Rick Hendrick, that Ricky was not there for that announcement, but ultimately, like I said, just seeing just seeing the the giant bear hug. That Dale Earnhardt Jr. gave Rick Hendrick that day in victory lane on the front stretch of Martinsville Speedway. How, how, how hard he hugged him and how tight he hugged him. And how he said in the interview that, you know, the whole sport came together when that happened. And, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it made him think about when he lost his father in, in, on the last top of the 2001 Daytona 500. You know, So obviously that's a great, great combination that, that, or a great relationship that those two have with the tragic losses that both of them have experienced. But ultimately, Martinsville Speedway, it is the smallest track that we go to on the schedule. It's just a, barely over half a mile long. It's that tight, that tight paperclip. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. throughout his career just got better and better and better at Martinsville Speedway. I mean, you go back and you look at that race from his rookie season in 2000, like you said, he pretty much hit about everything but the hot dog stand, and he said that he didn't want to take it out because he loves that hot dog stand there. (laughs) But ultimately, with tons of testing, tons of laps, tons of preparation, he just got better and better at Martinsville Speedway. Came so close so many times there with the Uries during the Budweiser days. Many, many top fives, many laps led. Matter of fact, most laps Dale Earnhardt Jr. ever led at any track in his career. It was at Martinsville Speedway, just 28 laps shy of leading 1,000 laps there. But, I mean, ultimately, the win there in October of 2014, 13 top fives, 19 top tens. He was an absolute natural wheeling a cup car at Martinsville the later he got into his career, and especially driving for Hendrick Motorsports. So he will be back. Behind the wheel of the number 88 Hellman Chevrolet, as we all know, Josh Berry, it was announced back in August that he will be taking over that number 8 Chevrolet for Junior Motorsports full-time in 2022. Matter of fact, Josh got his first Xfinity win at Martinsville back in April driving that 8 car. Sure enough, we know that the lineup has been announced. Justin Allgaier is going to be back in the 7. Noah Gregson is going to be back in the 9. I would imagine with the announcement that Michael Annette is going to be retiring from full-time driving with Junior Motorsports, I would imagine that Sam Mayer is going to be taking over that one car for Junior Motorsports in 2022. So obviously, as far as we know, that fifth Junior Motorsports car, the number 88, they're bringing it back for the first time since Dale Earnhardt Jr. raced it at Richmond in September of 2018. So obviously, if you're a Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan, like myself, like Sean Rozanski, you are absolutely fired up that he's going to run this race. And you know, ultimately, I know, like I said, it's just a one-off appearance. But I'm telling you right now, do not count Dale Earnhardt Jr. out that Xfinity race Friday night, April 8th, 2022 in Martinsville Speedway. He does a really, really good job of taking care of those tires and taking care of those brakes and being there at the very end, being in the top five and being a threat to win. So watch out. I'm telling you right now. I would not be shocked to see himself and Josh Berry. And Noah Gregson, who has a truck win to Martinsville in October of 2017. I would not be shocked to possibly see those three be duking it out that Friday night at Martinsville Speedway. So like I said, today for the Camping World Truck Series, their penultimate race. And it's been a long, long time since the Truck Series race. October 2nd at Talladega Super Speedway. So taking a look ahead to today. At Martinsville Speedway, 1 o'clock on Fox Sports 1, the United Rentals 200. Just want to take a look at our playoff grid. Obviously, John Hunter Nemechek, the championship leader, with 3,105 points, a one-point lead over Ben Rhodes. Matt Crafton is third with 3,079. Our defending champion, Sheldon Creed, he has the fourth and final spot right now with 3,074. Stuart Friesen, in fifth, is five points behind 3,069. And then for these guys, 6th through 8th, it's definitely must-win territory. Chandler Smith with 3,040, Carson Hosevar with 3,037, and Zane Smith bringing up the rear with 3,034. Definitely been a a very, very unlucky playoff run this year for Zane Smith, I would have to say, after really such a remarkable rookie season last year and making it all the way to the championship four at Phoenix. So today, like I said... 1 o'clock on Fox Sports 1, and on the poll for today's race at Martinsville Speedway is none other than John Hunter Nemechek. John Hunter has the win there in the spring of 2018, driving for his father, Joe. Starting alongside him is Todd Gilliland. Todd scored the first truck win of his career in this race two years ago, driving for Kyle Bush. Third is Ben Rhodes. Fourth is Sheldon Creed. Fifth is Matt Crafton. Sixth is Chandler Smith. Seventh is Stuart Friesen. Eighth is Carson Hosevar. Ninth is Zane Smith. And 10th is Austin Hill, who yesterday announced that he will be moving up to the NASCAR Xfinity Series and will be racing full-time alongside of Sheldon Creed at Richard Childress Racing. 11th is Ryan Truex. 12th is our newest winner in the truck series, Tate Fogelman at Talladega. 13th is Chase Purdy. 14th is Danny Bone. 15th is Grant Enfinger, the defending winner of this race. 16th, Corey Roper. 17th, Derek Krause. 18th, Spencer Boyd. 19th is Tyler Ancrum. 20th is Brett Holmes. 21st is Austin Wayne-South. 22nd is Johnny Sauter. Johnny has plenty of truck wins at Martinsville Speedway, the most recent in the fall of 2018. And he also won there in his championship season of 2016, along with wins there in 2011 and 2013. Haley Deegan will start 23rd. Timmy Hill, 24th. Josh Berry, the wheel man himself, in 25th. Chris Wright in 26th, Tanner Gray 27th, Corey Heim driving for Kyle Busch in 28th, Colby Howard 29th, Parker Kligerman 30th, followed by Sage Karam, Jennifer Jo Cobb, Dawson Cram, Jack Wood, Josh Rayome, Spencer Davis, Chris Hacker, Jesse Awuji, Taylor Gray, and Roger Ruse bringing up the field in 40th. So when I look ahead to today's race at Martinsville Speedway, you know, and it's so it's so sad that the Truck Series only has one race at Martinsville Speedway anymore. And I think ultimately, when I look ahead to today's race, I think you're going to have some non-playoff guys that are going to be factors, like a Grant Enfinger, like a Johnny Sauter. Sure enough, you get them that track position. I think that they could definitely hold it and sustain it. And when I look back to this race last year, you know, Sheldon Creed had the dominant truck before having some issues and finishing eighth Zane Smith, you know, he finished third. This is definitely a must win situation for Zane. Unfortunately, I just don't see it all coming together today. I think that he is going to be eliminated along with, like I said, the guys that are in must win territory. I don't see him making it. I don't see Chandler Smith making it or Carson Hosevar, who's had an amazing rookie season. I think ultimately, as long as Matt Crafton and Sheldon Creed, I, as long as they don't have any trouble, I definitely see them joining John Hunter Nemechek and Ben Rhodes racing for the championship next Friday night at Phoenix. I mean, like I said, nobody's locked in yet. But obviously, John Hunter and Ben Rhodes, the two of them, I mean, they have. Ben has the 35-point cushion over Stuart Friesen. John Hunter has the 36, 36-point uh, 36 cushion. Obviously, that could be evaporated just like that. Kevin Harvick had a 42-point cushion over fifth place going into this race last year, and look at what happened. But ultimately, I would have to say, with how tough it is to pass in Martinsville, how valuable track position is in Martinsville, and given the fact that he already has a win here, driving for his father back in 2018, I'm going to go with the hot hand this year, and I'm going to go with John Hunter and Nemechek to take the win. And like I said, advance to the championship four with Ben Rhodes, Sheldon Creed, and Matt Crafton. Then at 6 o'clock for the NASCAR Xfinity Series, the Dead on Tools 250 on NBCSN, looking at the starting lineup for tonight's race at Martinsville Speedway. On the pole is the 22 of Austin Sindrick. and starting alongside him in second is Ty Gibbs, and Ty did a remarkable job finishing fourth there in April. Then the two colleague teammates, A.J. Allmendinger and Justin Moneymaker Haley, 5th is Justin Allgaier. 6th is Michael Annette in the penultimate race of his career. 7th is Daniel Hamrick. 8th is Brandon Jones. Ninth is Noah Gregson. 10th is Harrison Burton. 11th is Sam Mayer in the car that Josh Berry won with back in April, the 8 car. 12th is Mike Snyder. 13th is Brett Moffat. 14th, Ryan Sieg. 15th is Jeb Burton, definitely a home race for him. And like I said, his cousin Harrison Burton is the defending winner of this race. 16th is Riley Herbst. 17th, Brandon Brown. Let's go, Brandon. (laughs) 18th is Jeremy Clements. 19th is Tommy Joe Martins. 20th, Bailey Curry. Ryan Vargas in 21st. Josh Williams, 22nd. Landon Castle, 23rd. Kyle Weatherman, 24th. Alex LeBay, 25th. Natalie Decker in 26th. 27th is Jeffrey Earnhardt. 28th is J.J. Yaley, and starting 29th, like I said, the guy that won here back in April, Josh Berry, this time driving the 31 car for Jordan Anderson. 30th is Colin Garrett. 31st is Jade Buford. 32nd, Joe Graff Jr. 33rd, Akinori Ogata. 34th is Ryan Ellis. 35th, Matt Mills. 36th is David Starr. 37th is Stephen Light. 38th is Preston Pardis, obviously known for how well he does in road racing. 39th is Spencer Boyd. And rounding out the field in 40th is Mike Harmon. The only car that failed to qualify for tonight's race is Timmy Hill. Taking a look at the playoff grid going into tonight's race at Martinsville Speedway. Obviously, like I said... <clears throat> So, looking ahead at the playoff grid, going into tonight's NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Martinsville Speedway. The two heavy hitters this year, Austin Sendrick and A.J. Allmendinger, they both have five wins, and they're both tied for the lead in the championship with 3,139 points. Now, you're asking yourself, well, if they're both tied in points, they both have the same amount of wins, who gets the tiebreaker? And right now, the tiebreaker goes to Austin Sendrick. When you have the same amount of wins... The next tiebreaker is who has more second-place finishes, and Austin has finished second, I believe, about six times this year, while AJ has finished second about three times this year. But both of them have a 47-point cushion over fifth-place Justin Moneymaker Haley going into tonight's race. Third is Justin Allgaier with 3,101 points. Holding down the fourth and final spot right now is Daniel Hemrick with 3,099. Then from 6th to 8th, definitely must-win territory, Noah Gregson with 3,075, Brandon Jones with 3,059, and Harrison Burton with 3,048. Definitely an unfortunate situation last Saturday at Kansas Speedway when Sam Mayer, when he hooked Harrison Burton into Noah Gregson and the two of them hitting the wall in the front stretch pretty hard at Kansas Speedway. And definitely an interesting situation for junior motorsports when you think of it I mean here here's Noah Gregson like I said was in a really really good position to make the championship four on points now it's definitely going to be must-win territory tonight when you get wrecked by when you you get crashed because of your own teammates mistake and like I said I'm not trying to be critical on Sam Mayer but obviously this is part of the learning process when you just turn 18 and like I said he's torn up more race cars than he's had top 10 so far. And I believe in Sam Mayer. I think I think eventually he just has to harness that talent. Dale Earnhardt Jr. just has to talk to him and tell him, you know, settle down. You know, and that's the unfortunate situation is, like I said, Noah could possibly miss out on this championship four after an incident that was caused by his own teammate. But like I said, when I look ahead to, to tonight, I mean, Josh Manley and I, we talked about it last weekend, Ty Gibbs winning – the Xfinity race at Kansas Speedway this past Saturday. I mean, Josh said it. He's going to be the next big superstar in the sport. And this is one of those cases, unlike the Dillon brothers, where, yeah, you know, he's he's the grandson of the team, the team owner. I mean, he has raw, natural talent. He just turned 19 on October 4th, and he won the ARCA championship later that night at Kansas Speedway, and he already has four Xfinity series wins on a part-time basis this year. But like I said... Harrison Burton, he won this race last year, so it's definitely must-win territory. Noah himself has a truck win. The first truck win of his career came in October of 2017 when he was driving for Kyle Busch. Austin Sindrick, you know, he's he's very, very hit or miss at Martinsville Speedway, and he's definitely struggled a lot in these Xfinity cars. AJ Allmendinger. I saw A.J. have so many great runs at Martinsville in the Cup Series, whether he was driving the 43 for Richard Petty, the brief time that he got to drive the 22 for Roger Penske, finishing second to Ryan Newman there in the spring of 2012. You know, Ultimately, and I mean, Daniel Hemrick, once again, you wonder, like, when is that first win going to come? You know, dominating the race at Texas Motor Speedway, finishing second to John Hunter Nemechek, and then sure enough, the, the incident with Noah Gregson last Saturday at Kansas Speedway early on in the race. When I look ahead as far as the championship four, I think Austin Stendrick and A.J. Allmendinger and Justin Allgaier, as long as those three don't have any issues. I know Justin Haley. I know that he got in last year to the championship four. I know Daniel Hemrick. He's been notorious for making it into the championship four when he was driving that 21 car full-time with uh, Richard Childress Racing. But ultimately, I've seen a lot of poise and potential somewhat of a breakthrough year I wouldn't say a breakthrough year but the second half of this year just seeing the way that Noah Gregson has run after a really such a horrible start to the 2021 season when you look at all the DNFs when you look at crashing at Daytona Miami when he had an eight second lead crashing out at Charlotte the first lap in mid-Ohio and of course like I said is Talladega but like I said the unfortunate situation that happened last weekend at Kansas Speedway I think Noah Like I said, he had those back-to-back wins in September at Darlington and Richmond. I think Noah is going to put together a really, really good race. I think he's going to be strong. I think he's going to be aggressive. And I think it's going to be one of those walk-off wins. And I see him joining his teammate Justin Allgaier in the championship race next Saturday at Phoenix Raceway. Along with, like I said, the two heavy hitters this year, A.J. Allmendinger and Austin Sendrick. So now the time has finally come. The cutoff race. Tomorrow at Martinsville Speedway for the NASCAR Cup Series, the Xfinity 500. Green flag just a little after 2 o'clock on NBC. In the booth, like I talked about, Dale Earnhardt Jr., the October 2014 winner at Martinsville Speedway. Probably his favorite racetrack, either that or Bristol Motor Speedway. Just ask him about it. Alongside him in the booth is the man that guided him to that October 2014 win at Martinsville, Crew Chief Steve Letart. And you want to talk about bookends. You know, Steve Letarte, he got his job at Hendrick Motorsports when he was 16 years old in the spring of 1995, and he worked his way up from sweeping the floors to the parts department to being the car chief on Jeff Gordon's 24 car and then becoming the crew chief for Jeff Gordon in September of 2005 when they missed the chase and Robbie Loomis stepped down after five years on the job. And Robbie had been grooming him those, I would say, probably those three or four years leading up to it. Once he promoted Steve LaTarte to car chief you knew it was only going to be a matter of time and the great story with steve is at the end of 2004 he was actually going to be kyle bush's first crew chief for his rookie season in 2005 but obviously you know jeff having such a big say in everything that goes on at Hendrick motorsports he said no he said i want you to stay on and i want you to become the crew chief one day when robbie steps down and then sure enough that first win with jeff gordon as a crew chief and that first top five as a crew chief, came at Martinsville Speedway in October of 2005. And how ironic that his last win and his last top five as a crew chief came at Martinsville Speedway in October of 2014 with Dale Earnhardt Jr. So think about that. Your first win with Jeff Gordon, your last win with Dale Earnhardt Jr. at the same racetrack. Arguably, like I said, two of the most popular drivers in NASCAR history. Joining them in the booth is Virginia's own Jeff Burton. Jeff, You know, he had a win in the fall of 1997, driving that 99 car for Jack Roush, and Rick Allen with play-by-play duties. So, as I said, Kyle Larson, the only driver that has clinched the spot in the championship for next Sunday at Phoenix Raceway with 4,181 points and, like I said, winning the Charlotte Roval. I know that was a round of 12, but, like I said, sweeping the round of eight so far winning at Texas Motor Speedway and Kansas Speedway. Teammate Chase Elliott, the defending champion and the defending winner of this race, he is second with 4,107 points. Third is Denny Hamlin with 4,105. So once again, like I said, just like A.J. Allmendinger and Austin Cindric, as long as those two don't have any issues tomorrow evening, I definitely see them advancing to Phoenix. Then it gets interesting. The fourth and final spot right now is held by Kyle Bush with 4,074 points. One point behind in fifth is Ryan Blaney. Three points behind is his teammate Martin Shrek's Jr. Six points behind is Brad Keselowski. So, I mean, those three, like I said, just a couple positions, just a couple stage points here and there. And, I mean, really, like Al Davis would say, just win, baby. So, I mean, any one of those guys. Any one of those guys, Ryan Blaney, Martin Trex Jr., Brad Keselowski, and Joey Logano with 4,048 points after blowing the engine at Texas Motor Speedway two weeks ago. And of course, like I said, not really running all that good at Kansas, finishing ninth. So any one of those four, if they win, they knock Kyle Busch out of the championship four. Think about it. Just look at Phoenix in 2014. Jeff Gordon finishes second behind Kevin Harvick. But since he didn't win in that round, finishing second to Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Martinsville, finishing second to Kevin Harvick at Phoenix. Of course, we know with the the fight with Brad Keselowski at Martinsville. Because of that, Jeff Gordon missed out on the championship four by one point when Ryan Newman bulldozed his way past Kyle Larson. We all remember that. So 500 laps around the paperclip that is Martinsville Speedway Stage 1 lap 160, stage two, lap 260. And the starting lineup for tomorrow at Martinsville Speedway. Of course, on the pole, after winning this past Sunday at Kansas Speedway, is the number five of Kyle Larson. You know, Kyle, but he'll be the first to tell you, Martinsville, it's not his cup of tea. Just two top five finishes there in his career. Third in April of 2016 when he was driving that 42 car for Chip Ganassi. And his first time in a Hendrick car there back in April, having to start at the back of the field after failing inspection, and still managed to finish fifth. That is impressive in itself. I mean, Hendrick Motorsports, when it comes to Martinsville Speedway, 25 wins at Martinsville Speedway. Of course, the very first in April of 1984 with Jeffrey Bodine. If not for that, they would have closed their doors down. We all know the story. But like I said, nine wins at Martinsville for Jeff Gordon, nine wins there for Jimmy Johnson. Daryl Waltrip, in, in sort, not sort of towards the end of his career, but towards the end of his glory days, I guess you could say. But Daryl won four races at Martinsville Speedway and Dale Earnhardt Jr. in October of two uh, in October of twenty fourteen. And like I said, Chase Elliott in this race last year that propelled him to the championship for Phoenix and ultimately winning the championship. Third is <clears throat> Denny Hamlin, and Denny, like I said, this is a bit of a home game for him, just like it is at Richmond. So Denny has five wins at Martinsville Speedway, five wins, going all the way back to the fall of 2009, both 2010 races, that amazing season that he was having. And I also look back to, I also look back to the fall of, or not the fall, it was the spring of 2015, like I said, five total wins at Martinsville Speedway for Denny Hamlin, definitely a natural when it comes to Martinsville Speedway. Plenty of top fives, plenty of laps led. I mean, look, just look at the numbers at Martinsville. In, 31 starts, 5 wins, 16 top 5 finishes, 22 top 10s, 1,884 laps led at Martinsville Speedway. And, of course, I forgot the first one that Denny Hamlin had, had at Martinsville. It was the spring of 2008. And then how he reeled off three in a row from the fall of 2009 to the fall of 2010 and the spring of 2015. Fourth is his teammate and the guy that's been dominating Martinsville lately, Martin Trex Jr. No pun intended whatsoever. But, you know, Martin for the longest time in his career could not win on a short track. And he finally broke through in 2019. And he won this race two years ago, the most dominant performance of his career. October of 2019 in Martinsville, leading 464 out of 500 laps and clinching a spot in the championship four for the third season in a row. And ultimately, just like Steve Latart and Dale Earnhardt Jr., his crew chief Cole Pern, that was his last one as a crew chief. But with James Small, James's first win as a crew chief came here in June of 2020 at Martinsville. And they won here back in April of 2021, passing their teammate Denny Hamlin with just a few laps to go. Fifth is Joey Logano. Of course, we all remember when he knocked Martin Trex Jr. out of the way in this race three years ago, October of 2018, That how that propelled Joey to the championship forward down in Miami, and he ultimately won that championship. Brad Keselowski, our 2012 champion, two wins at Martinsville Speedway, and they were both in the spring race, April of 2017 when he passed Kyle Busch late in the race, and the most dominant performance of Brad's career just like Martin Shrex Jr. It came at Martinsville in 2019, just the spring race in March, not the fall race. That day at Martinsville, Brad started third and led a career-high 446 out of 500 laps and held off Chase Elliott for the win. Seventh is Kyle Busch. Kyle has two wins at Martinsville Speedway, the spring of 2016 and the fall of 2017. That clinched a spot in the championship four for himself. And eighth is Ryan Blaney, and like I said, Ryan would not be in this position that he is if Austin Dillon didn't crash him last Sunday at Kansas Speedway. He had a massive cushion over fifth place before that crash happened, and he finished 37th. But Ryan has come very, very close to Martinsville Speedway. He finished second in both races last year at Martinsville, had some issues on pit road, speeding was one of them, uncontrolled tire was another one, and then sure enough, I was going to say, Ryan dominated a good portion of the spring race at Martinsville back in April. Mistakes on Pit Road, the last stop. Then ninth is Kevin Harvick. Kevin has a win at Martinsville in April of 2011. Tenth is Kurt Busch. Two wins at Martinsville, October of 2002 and March of 2014. Eleventh is William Byron. Willie B Woo finished second in this race two years ago. 12th is Christopher Bell, 13th is Alex Bowman, 14th, Austin Dillon, 15th is Chris Busher. 16th is Ross Chastain, 17th, Bubba Wallace. I'm telling you right now, folks, watch out for Bubba tomorrow as far as the non-playoff drivers go. Two truck wins at Martinsville Speedway when he drove for Kyle Busch the fall of 2013 and 2014. And he looked very, very strong in this race in April before not and ultimately didn't get the finish that he deserved. Tyler Reddick in 18th, Michael McDowell in 19th, Daniel Suarez 20th, 21st is Matt DiBendetto, 22nd is Chase Briscoe, 23rd, Eric Almirola. Eric has been very, very underrated at Martinsville, several top five finishes there. 24th is Cole Custer, 25th, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. 26th is Ryan Priest, who won the modified race there back in April. Ryan Newman, who was also in that modified race, who could ever forget? That lucky win in April 2012 when Clint Boyer crashed the entire top three of Hendrick Motorsports as they were on their way to that 200th win for Rick Hendrick. Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Boyer, well, the funny thing is, Ryan Newman pretty much propelled Clint Boyer right into Jeff Gordon. He spins, Jimmy Johnson spins, Dale Earnhardt Jr. gets body slammed. He was lucky enough to finish third that day, but sure enough, that 200th win for Hendrick Motorsports evaporated at that moment. 28th is Eric Jones, 29th is Corey LaJoy followed by B.J. McLeod, Cody Ware, Anthony Alfredo, Josh Palicki, Joey Gase, Justin Moneymaker Haley, Quinn Huff, Garrett Smithley, and Timmy Hill. So when I look ahead to tomorrow at Martinsville Speedway, like I said, Kyle Larson, the role that he's been on, I don't expect him to win at Martinsville. Give it a few years, I think ultimately, when it's all said and done, he will get a grandfather clock. I just don't see it happening tomorrow. I think his teammate Chase Elliott, like I said, Chase, He won this race last year. He finished a very close second to Martin Trex Jr. back in April. I think if that race would have been maybe 10, 15 laps longer, I think he probably would have gotten Martin. And then, of course, like I said, Denny Hamlin, Martin Trex Jr. I think ultimately, no matter how hard of an effort, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, I think those four drivers, I think they're going to drive their guts out tomorrow and do everything that they can to make it to Phoenix. But ultimately, when I look at it, Ryan Blaney, as good as he is at Martinsville, like I said, his pit crew has just been very, very inconsistent when it comes to this particular racetrack. Joey Logano, if not for the blown engine at Kansas, I think he'd be in a much better situation. But hey, we know that Joey Logano, if he has to bulldoze someone out of the way to make it to the championship round, he's going to do it. Like I said, we saw him do it to Martin Trex Jr. in this race back in 2018. Brad Keselowski, He is phenomenal when it comes to Martinsville Speedway. I mean phenomenal. And like I said, the most dominant performance of his career, March of 2019, leading 446 out of 500 laps, the two wins there in 2017 and 2019. But those were with Paul Wolfe, who's now with Joey Logano. I mean, Brad has 11... Top 5 finishes, 16 top 10s in 23 races at Martinsville Speedway, 891 laps led. But the race there in April was a complete disaster. The power steering going out, the pit crew being absolutely pathetic, being spun out by Daniel Suarez, losing a lap, getting it back, and then being collected in that massive pile up on the back straightaway. I think that Brad is going to give it everything that he has. But ultimately, I think when he gets to Phoenix for his last race with Team Penske, I don't see him racing for a championship and Kyle Bush like I said Kyle a lot of his, I mean he's phenomenal everywhere we go but it's another situation, just like Brad Keselowski. Those two wins at Martinsville, they came with Paul Wolfe. Kyle's two wins at Martinsville, they came with Adam Stevens, who's now with Christopher Bell. And when Kyle was there back in April, I know himself and Ben Bashore, I know that they were still trying to gel and still trying to get that rapport and that chemistry down. But they had a disastrous day getting spun out, getting caught up in that massive pileup on the back straightaway, and they still finished 10th. But they, didn't get, they, they got two stage points out of it by the end of the day. I think ultimately, like I said, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin. Denny is my pick to go to victory lane tomorrow evening at Martinsville Speedway. As far as that fourth driver that's going to join them in the championship race at Phoenix, as badly as I want it to be, Brad Keselowski, I think ultimately, I think that Denny's teammate, Martin Trex Jr., how strong he's been at Martinsville, how dominant he's been, the amount of laps that he's led there. I could see Martin collecting enough stage points and – Ultimately, I think he'll maybe finish second behind Denny Hamlin, maybe third. Like I said, I see Chase Elliott being in the mix. But ultimately, those are my championship four. Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, and Martin Trex Jr. And like I said, the four that'll miss out on the championship with the way things will go, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, and Ryan Blaney. So just to recap before I get into all the NFL talk here, My picks, John Hunter Nemechek for the truck race and joining him in the championship four next Friday night at Phoenix, will be none other than, like I said, Ben Rhodes, Matt Crafton, and Sheldon Creed. Ultimately, I think John Hunter Nemechek is going to win that championship next Friday at Phoenix. And then for the NASCAR Xfinity Series, I think Noah Gregson is going to have a walk-off win. And he will join A.J. Allmendinger, Austin Sendrick, and Justin Allgaier in the championship for next Saturday at Phoenix. Like I said, Denny Hamlin, my pick to go to victory lane tomorrow at Martinsville Speedway. Racing for that championship once again. Is this the year? I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. So, Week 8 in the National Football League. Tomorrow... One o'clock, the five and two Cincinnati Bengals at the one and five New York Jets. What a remarkable turnaround this has been for the Cincinnati Bengals this year. Beating the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore forty one to seventeen. Seeing Joe Burrow live up to his potential, seeing Zach Taylor possibly, and I mean possibly I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, he's definitely the favorite for NFL coach of the head coach of the year right now. When you look at the New York Jets, Rex Ryan, who coached them from two thousand nine to twenty fourteen, he said they're a damn embarrassment right now. You you're coming off of a bye, you're outscored forty four to nothing in the first quarter of this year, and you lose to the New England Patriots fifty four to thirteen. You have a coaching staff that looks lost, Robert Sala and company, and you look at Zach Wilson, who was the second overall pick, getting hurt. He's not going to play tomorrow. Mike White is starting for the New York Jets. I think this is another game that's going to be ugly and it's going to get out of hand. So I'm easily taking the Cincinnati Bengals. The 5-2 and two Tennessee Titans. Woo! At the 3-4 and four Indianapolis Colts. Carson Wentz, I think he's starting to come into his own. Obviously, he is considerably cut down on the interceptions compared to his last year with the Philadelphia Eagles in 2020. But I think ultimately, I think the Tennessee Titans, I think they're just all around a better team and one of the best teams in the National Football League, and of course, like I said, when you beat the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football, when you beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs twenty-seven to three, and you knock them out of the game, I and that's the thing is Derrick Henry, just the dominant run that he has been on lately, and the case of the Tennessee Titans. I I love Ryan Tannehill, but obviously you don't have to you don't have to rely on him throwing that ball so much. And ultimately, I see Derrick Henry having another monstrous game, but even though Indianapolis has, has a very respectable defense. I'm taking the Tennessee Titans. The 6-1 Los Angeles Rams at the 1-6 Houston Texans. Why even discuss it? Easily taking the Rams on this one. Like I said, I know Tyrod Taylor supposed to be back, but like I said, just an absolute train wreck of a mess right now in Houston. And Mark Ingram has been traded back to the New Orleans Saints. Then, the game that you know Matters the most to me. The 3-3 three and three, Pittsburgh Steelers at the 4-3 and three, Cleveland Browns. The Steelers are coming off of a bye. Two straight wins against Denver and Seattle. T.J. Watt, the one-man wrecking crew that he was at the end of that Seattle game. Yeah, I know it was Geno Smith, but still... Still, I mean, the presence that he has. Baker Mayfield, he's going to be back in the lineup after missing the Thursday night game against the Denver Broncos last week. Of course, we've heard, heard about the issues that he has right now, playing through a lot of pain. But ultimately, I think it, Cleveland has really impressed. They impressed me. Here's the thing. There are four wins so far this year, the Houston Texans. The Chicago Bears, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Denver Broncos. That's not really much to write home about. But what impressed me in that Denver game was seeing Case Keenum, Dearness Johnson, in the presence of the absence of Baker Mayfield, the top two running backs that you have with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, seeing how well and how efficient they did in their absence was very, very impressive. But I think ultimately, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, like I said, they have a little bit of momentum coming off of that bye. They're going to be rested. They're going to be fresh. Najee Harris, he's starting to come into his own a little bit. I know Juju Smith-Schuster has been lost for the year with, with the shoulder injury. I see it being a defensive battle tomorrow. And ultimately, like I said, I, despite everything I said on this podcast for the past month or so, I'll take... Ben Roethlisberger, any day over Baker Mayfield. And I think that both T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett, I see both of them wreaking havoc for the opposing quarterback. But ultimately, I see Ben leading the team down the field, last-minute drive, and Chris Boswell, the Wizard of Oz, kicking another game-winning field goal as time expires. I'm taking the Pittsburgh Steelers 19-16 to over the Cleveland Browns. Keeping it in-state, the 2-5 and Philadelphia Eagles, Whew. Wow. Miles Sanders now out for at least three games, even though Nick Sirianni barely even used him. The 0-7 Detroit Lions, they gave their old quarterback, Matt Stafford, a run for his money this past Sunday at L.A., ultimately losing 28-19. to I still, as close as they've come in so many games this year, I just don't see Detro- Detroit. I see them playing another hard-fought game but even with all the issues that the Philadelphia Eagles are having right now I say that I'm taking the Philadelphia Eagles in a close one and an ugly one for that matter the two and four San Francisco 49ers at the three and four Chicago Bears and the biggest story with this game is Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy tested positive for COVID-19 he will not be on the sidelines tomorrow at Soldier Field and when you look at it both head coaches himself and Kyle Shanahan, I think that this i mean this is definitely must win territory for both of them this year. This is definitely a make or break year because even though Kyle Shanahan, even though the forty ers gave him that big contract, and it's not Kyle's fault, but aside from twenty nineteen when they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, I know they've had tons of injuries, but you're you went six and ten in 2017 you went 4 and 12 in 2018 and then you had another injury ridden season last year like I said it's not Kyle's fault but i'm starting to get that vibe that i could possibly see the 49ers firing him after this season is over matt Nagy, i think he already has one foot out the door and sure enough like i said he tests a positive on monday for covid-19 he can't return and Chris Tabor, their special teams coach, will be the interim head coach tomorrow. I think ultimately, I'm definitely taking the San Francisco 49ers. The 3 and 4 Carolina Panthers, like I said, definitely just like the the Denver Broncos a fraudulent 3 and 4, at the 3 and 3 Atlanta Falcons, I think the Falcons are definitely starting to come into their own under Arthur Smith. I've definitely seen a bit of an improvement, so I'm taking the Falcons. The 1-6 Miami Dolphins at the 4-2 and two, Buffalo Bills. Obviously, the Bills coming off of, of, of a bye and a heartbreaking loss to the Tennessee Titans on Monday Night Football. And, I mean, the Miami Dolphins, what a difference a year makes. Already as many losses as they had all of last year. And, you know, Brian Flores, their head coach, you know, he can say that, oh, two is our starter, two is our starter the rest of the year. I call bullshit on that. I know we got the trade deadline coming on this coming Tuesday, November 2nd at 4 o'clock. I am not convinced one bit that Tua tunga that he is the future. I'm not convinced that he's going to be the starter. I think I I definitely see Miami pulling that trigger, giving the Houston Texans everything everything that the Houston Texans want in order to get Deshaun Watson. And like Josh Manley said this past Sunday, yeah, it's risky. It's risky as hell for sure because you don't even know if Deshaun Watson is going to be able to play when you have 21 sexual assaults filed against you and you're wondering what is going to go on with the National Football League. But I think ultimately, like I said, Buffalo, they're 4-2, and two. they're coming off of a bye and a heartbreaking loss. They've got to get more of a running game established. I don't believe in Devin Singletary and you know Zach Moss, like I said, you're still waiting for him to come into his own. But we know that Orchard Park, New York. We know that it's been a house of horrors, no pun intended with tomorrow being Halloween. But we know how much of a struggle it always it's always been for the Miami Dolphins when they go there. So I'm taking the Buffalo Bills. Then ahead to the four o'clock games, the three and four New England Patriots at the four and two Los Angeles Chargers. Definitely a shocking loss a couple weeks ago. Chargers are coming off of a bye, but a shocking loss going to Baltimore and losing thirty-eight to six. The New England Patriots, that's the thing. Three and four they' have been in some close games, you know, just barely losing to their old quarterback Tom Brady, just barely losing to Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. But of those three wins, like I said, two of them were against the New York Jets, and the other one was against the Houston Texans, Mac Jones, like Rex Ryan said, he looks like a season pro, but ultimately, like I said, the Los Angeles Chargers I don't think that this is going to be a blowout like it was last year. When the Patriots came to town and they blew them out 45 to nothing, I think the Chargers, they're just an all-around better team. I think Justin Herbert is going to bounce back in a big way. And I definitely see the game going into his hands with Austin Eckler. You know, with the hip injury that popped up yesterday on the injury report, I definitely don't see Eckler playing. But I see Justin Herbert avenging, like I said, really a horrendous, the worst loss of his career. Almost makes 38-6 to at Baltimore two weeks ago seem like nothing. So I'm taking the Chargers. Then by far the ugliest game of the day, the 1-5 Jacksonville Jaguars at the 2-5 and Seattle Seahawks. Let's face it, Pete Carroll even said it himself without Russell Wilson. If, if he didn't draft Russell Wilson in 2012, Pete Carroll knows that he would not be in the National Football League. He would not be the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. And they need to get Russell back as soon as possible. And I mean, especially losing to the New Orleans Saints 13-10 to on Monday Night Football when we know how inconsistent Jameis Winston can be. But, I mean, ultimately, like I said, both these teams, I mean, it's ugly. You know, Urban Meyer. It's it's funny, that meme that they had, (laughs) the Jaguars had to leave the country to get a win. Sure enough, the the London game two weeks ago against the Miami Dolphins. But I think this is going to be another ugly, low-scoring game. And even though I would definitely take Trevor Lawrence any day over Geno Smith, obviously Seattle is just an all-around better team, and I see them prevailing in a very, very close and ugly game. The two and five Washington football team at the three and four Denver Broncos—a rematch of Super Bowl 22, for that matter—and definitely a lot of question marks at quarterbacks for both teams. Taylor Heineke. You know, there's only so much that he could do. Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, with the Washington football team, you wonder how much longer until he's able to come back from that that injury that he suffered on opening day against the Los Angeles Chargers, the hip injury, and Teddy Bridgewater, the three and four Denver Broncos. Teddy is on a very, very short leash in my opinion. I mean, these losses keep mounting. I can definitely see them going back to Drew Locke. But like I said, I think probably the biggest disappointment this year with all the hype and all the expectations that they had going into 2021 as a Washington football team. You know, I know that there was so much hype and anticipation when they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, but ultimately the defense being the cornerstone of that 2020 team and propelling them to the NFC East Division Championship, they've definitely been a letdown this year and a liability more than anything. And I know it's in Denver, and I know it's in high altitude, but like I said, Denver, just like the Carolina Panthers, they were a fraudulent 3-0 so, ultimately, just the way that things have been going right now, I'm going. I'm going to take. I'm going to take the Washington football team in a very close one over the Denver Broncos. Then four twenty-five on Fox. Fox's game of the week. Thankfully, no Joe Buck, <laughs> since he's going to be doing the World Series Game Four on. Or is it game five? I'll have to check. <laughs> but I know that Joe Buck, you know, this is the time of the year when he's calling the World Series and still doing still doing the games on Fox. But like I said, Troy Aikman, Aaron Andrews, they're going to be there doing the game. But the 6-1 Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the 4-2 New Orleans Saints, of course, a very, very monumental milestone last weekend against the Chicago Bears when Tom Brady recorded the 600th touchdown of his career. And, of course, you know, the guy had to give the football back and got a couple jerseys and a Bitcoin and all that. But, you know, last year when Drew Brees was there and he was the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, Like Skip Bayless talked about, it was a little bit of a kryptonite going down to New Orleans and losing both games in the regular season, but ultimately avenging that loss, meeting them in the divisional round, and that being the final game of Drew Brees' career. And you know, when I look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and I look at how, ironically, their old quarterback, Jameis Winston, when I look at how inconsistent he has been and their offense is ranked 31st in the league. And how well and how efficient Tom Brady's playing at 44 years old. How he's leading the league, like I said, with passing yards. Just six ahead of Derek Carr, who's on a bye week this week. And I know that defense. I know that they're a little bit banged up. But ultimately, I have to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on this one. And then, 8:20 on NBC. Sunday Night Football. The Manly Bowl. <laughs> Josh Manley's 5-1. and one, Dallas Cowboys. At John Manley's, 3-3, three and three, Minnesota Vikings. The man, the myth, the legend himself, John from Plymouth. And, of course, we can't forget about our other Vikings fan, John Glow. Definitely a big, big game, Sunday Night Football. Both these teams coming off of a bye. Dak Prescott. You know, Josh had a good point. And I think this was all bias aside. But Dak Prescott, he's easily the favorite for Comeback Player of the Year. But at this point, you have to consider him for MVP as well. I mean, they are 5-1, and one, and Dak actually looks better than he even did before the, the injury that he suffered last year. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing how well and how efficient Dak Prescott is looking. I know he got a little banged up in the Patriot game two weeks ago, but I think that time off and that rest, I think he's going to have a very, very strong game against the Minnesota Vikings. I know there's a lot of question marks, you know, especially with Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer, obviously – I think that seat's going to get hotter and hotter and hotter, <clears throat> not only after Sunday night, but especially. Like I said, when I talked to John from Plymouth the other day, I talked to him briefly about the game and everything and about you know the Cowboys and the Vikings, and like John Manley himself said from Minnesota, and I know Johnny, he'll attest to this, their schedule is only going to get more difficult as we go on. You got the 5-1 and one Cowboys. You got the Ravens next weekend they're on their bye this weekend then you have to travel all the way out to LA and play the Chargers then of course the rivalry with the Green Bay Packers then travel all the way out to California Thanksgiving weekend to take on the 49ers then the Detroit Lions at Ford Field and you know Johnny himself said I mean it's it's like a trap game I know week five when they met up against each other and the last second field goal at the end of win 19 to 17 you know Johnny Glow said it's a trap game and then for us for myself and Johnny Glow, and I know John from Plymouth, I know he's going to be excited about this one we talked about a little bit. Thursday night football, December 9th, the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Minnesota Vikings, U.S. Bank Stadium. And then, of course, really another trap game when you think of it, December 20th, Monday night at the Chicago Bears. As Matt Nagy still going to be the head coach at that point. And then... New Year's weekend at the Green Bay Packers, Lambeau Field, when it'll probably be about negative 10 outside, and then finishing up with the Chicago Bears. So definitely, like I said, it's only going to get harder for the Minnesota Vikings. So I'm taking the Dallas Cowboys. And then Monday Night Football, the 2-5 and five New York Giants at the 3-4 and four Kansas City Chiefs. As far to my knowledge, I would imagine that Patrick Mahomes is going to be back after the concussion that he suffered against the Tennessee Titans this past Sunday. But, you know, ultimately, the Giants, they're 2-5. and five. They beat the, the living hell out of the Carolina Panthers 25-3 to last weekend at MetLife Stadium up in Jersey. And the Kansas City Chiefs, like I said, Mahomes, just the amount of interceptions that he's been throwing, the lack of a running game that they have, and, of course, their defense. Their defense has, has always somewhat been a bit of a liability, I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs, but I'm telling you right now, I see this being an ugly, down-to-the-wire game, and this being one maybe on a Harrison Bucker field goal, but it's almost kind of like, it's weird, like the New York Giants, as horrible as they have been the past four years, when you put them on Monday Night Football against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, ironically, they'll be playing Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Monday night, November 22nd. You do that, or you have them go to Arrowhead, and they seem to really, and I mean really, play well, but ultimately lose. And like I said, how well they played on Monday Night Football in November of last year against Tom Brady and the Bucks, and lost that game because of some some very, very questionable calls. But nevertheless, I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs. So... Quick recap, my picks for tomorrow, week eight in the National Football League, the Cincinnati Bengals over the New York Jets, the Tennessee Titans over the Colts, woo, the Rams over the Texans, Pittsburgh Steelers over the Cleveland Browns, Philadelphia Eagles over the the Detroit Lions, San Francisco 49ers over the Chicago Bears. Atlanta Falcons over the Carolina Panthers, Miami Dolphins. Well, you know, Buffalo Bills over the Miami Dolphins, excuse me, for the 4 o'clock games. The Los Angeles Chargers over the New England Patriots. The Seattle Seahawks over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Washington football team over the Denver Broncos. Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the New Orleans Saints. Sunday Night Football, like I said, the Manly Bowl. Josh's Cowboys over John's Vikings. And then for Monday Night Football, the Kansas City Chiefs over the New York Giants. That will do it for episode 82 of Jake's Take next week. Championship weekend at Phoenix. Like I said, John Hunter Nemechek, my pick to win the truck championship. But as far as that Xfinity championship, that cup championship, we got practice. We got qualifying next week at Phoenix. All the practice on Friday, all the qualifying on Saturday. Just wait and see. I cannot wait to dissect it. And week 9 in the NFL... Definitely taking the Indianapolis Colts over the New York Jets on Thursday Night Football. Have a great weekend. Have a happy and safe Halloween. Y'all take it easy.